in all that we do and every relationship that we're with, our mission is to connect the community that we have, whether it be our work community, our school community, our t-ball community, our neighborhood watch community, or HOA, whatever that community may, may be, wherever we find ourselves in community, to find ways for us to connect our community to Christ, to bring people into the picture of the relationship that we have with Jesus and to make sure that they have the opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel because of the relationship that we have with Jesus and with them in community. And so as our church grows and as we move forward, as we recover from some of the challenges that we've had this past year, as we look forward to what the next year looks like, I want you to keep that mission in mind. And you can find these things uh, on our website. They're, they're going to be all over the place, peppered all over those things. But just connecting our community to Christ. And then we, we kind of move from our mission to what our vision is. Well, kind of what does that look like? And, and that's where we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning. It's just looking at our, our vision is that we envision ourselves as a, as a community of unstoppable Jesus followers leading others to a transformed life in Christ. Now, I just want you to look that I've highlighted some of those words that are up there. I want you to look at some of those pieces up there and, and just kind of see what that means. There's some actionable items. There's some community items in there. And so that everything that we do points back to that original mission to saying that we're going to push our community into to seeing others have a relationship with Jesus. And we're going to be responsible for being a part of leading them to that relationship in Jesus. And that's both having an intentionality of teaching them the truth about who Christ is but also letting them see our lives and look at us to see how we live our lives, how we, how we handle triumphs and, and trials and challenges, and that we're leading them to a transformed life, not just a new behavior or a better way to live or, or a, a, an easier life, but a truly transformed life that says, you know what, I've prioritized everything in my life to know God and to serve Him forever, to love Him, to let Him be the Lord of my life, to follow Him in such a way that I'm going out and extending my community to tell others about this Jesus that transformed me and wants to transform them too. And, and, and those are lofty goals, and sometimes those, those visions can be a little bit challenging. And so I've kind of made it a little bit easier for you because essentially what I'm saying is, is that we, we don't want to be a whole lot of automatons. We don't want to make up our own decisions about stuff. But if you really boil it down and look at these elements of, of being a community uh, of unstoppable Jesus followers leading others to a transformed life in Christ, it essentially looks like we're building a cult. Now, we're not doing that, but I just have to share that with you because as I was writing these things down and trying to make sense of that, I, I kind of did a little bit. I'm like, there it is. I'm like, there it is. We are not building a cult here. However, what we are doing is trying to lead people to truly love Jesus so much that nothing else matters, that, the, that they would sell out the common sense of the world, that they would go directly to the things that Jesus is saying about who they are, how he wants to live in their lives, and how he wants them to live out their life in him until such time he makes us completely whole. And, and so while we're not trying to build a cult, we are looking for a, a, a measure of commitment from everybody to say, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be who God put me in this community. I'm going to be why he put me in this community. I'm going to be who he wants me to be in this community. I'm going to take responsibility for the community that he's planted me in. And I'm going to love on these people. And I'm going to lead them to a transformed life in Jesus Christ by how I live my life and by the things I do, see, speak, act, and respond to them in all that we do. And there's a couple of things that, that you probably have heard before, like our strategy and how we do that. Our strategy is a simple strategy. We gather, we grow, we give, and we go. And, and these are probably things, if you've been around our church, you, you've, you've heard before. If you looked at our website, you've seen that before. But we value gathering. We value being together. It's been one of the greatest challenges of 2020 is, is, is not only not being able to, per se, but also not being comfortable to do so. 
and we're hoping that we're kind of walking through some of those things as we're learning a little bit more about what social distancing is and all that stuff and ways to keep ourselves safe. And we do have an online presence, and I know it's just not the same as being with people in person. And I want for those of you who are at home to understand, we get it, we respect that, and we understand that. But it's never going to take the place of being together in community. And so we're going to do both for as long as we possibly can, as long as it makes sense. But you will always find the best community is going to be when we're gathered together. It's going to always be the case. All the other elements of that are going to be supplemental, and they have a place and a time, and they're valuable but they're never going to take the place of being together. And so we're going to gather together as much as we possibly can, as safely as we possibly can. We're, we're going to grow together. And, and as a pastor, one of the things that I've looked at this last year that I feel like in some of the most challenging things is that sometimes people don't grow the way that they ought to when left to what they have. And, and what I mean by that is, is that I don't know that as a pastor and as a community of pastors, I've, I talked to other pastors, I had a great meeting with a guy this past week, and two of the things that he and I both came to an agreement with, he, he works with a lot of trans, uh, church planters around the Houston area. He and I were both in agreement with a couple of things. First and foremost, the, the statistical reality is that 25% of the churches in the greater Houston area will not survive 2021. Many of those have already bowed out. They're done. Financially or just community-wise, they're, they're finished. They cannot sustain. But for those that are right now, 25% of the churches in the greater Houston area will not survive. Now, there's probably a lot of reasons for that, and I don't rejoice or celebrate in churches that, that, that go by the wayside. But I do believe that God can work through that, and I believe sometimes he winnows through. And I believe sometimes that, that churches who are not on the path of creating disciples and, and leading people to a transformed life in Jesus Christ, they're really not churches. And the truth of, of, of evangelism, about telling people about Jesus and about what he's done in your life, is that if all you're doing is just learning and, and gathering knowledge, but not leading people to a transformed life, then you're not even actually being discipled, you're just being educated. And, and there's a big difference between discipleship and education. We need to know things, but we need to know things in such a way that they transform us so that we're showing others how they can live the same life. Not so they can be like us, but so that all of us can be more like Jesus. And so we have to grow. We've got a couple of great resources that we've provided to do that. There's no better resource than just spending time alone with God. But, but right now, media is a great way for us to have a digital way to give you some supplemental things out there, to find some things that you can learn and grow as a family. Uh, this Believe series that we're going to do, one of the greatest times I think we've had in our church in the last six years is when we went through the story because I saw people, I saw light bulbs go off in people's heads. They began to understand and demystify the Old Testament, that it's an old, old document that nobody really understands. They begin to take scripture to a, a place where it wasn't just this thing that, that certain people get trained to understand, but that God actually wrote this letter for all believers to know, and they begin to read it for themselves. And I think that's where real growth happens. It's not in how many people are here on Sunday morning. It's not how much dollars that come in in the plate. It's how people are truly becoming more like Jesus and telling other people how they can become more like Jesus. That's what growth really looks like. Perhaps one of the greatest blessings of COVID in my mind is I stopped counting how many people come to church on a Sunday morning. And one of the reasons why I did that is because that doesn't matter. You see, we can have a church of 5,000 people, but if none of those 5,000 people go and tell anybody about Jesus Christ and what he's done in their life this week, who cares? It doesn't matter. Jesus himself had 12 guys that followed him around. It's 12, and they changed the world. I'd rather have 12 people who were out telling people about what Christ has done in their lives and how they're growing to be more like him each and every day 
than I would a thousand people sitting in here who not only don't give a nickel to the, to the ministries that we're doing to hear other people uh, come to Christ throughout the, the rest of the world, but don't give a second of their time to see that people have a transformed life in Jesus Christ. That's not who we are as a church. It's not who I want to be as a pastor. That's not who I want to be as a believer. And so we've got to grow. And we've got to grow not just on Sunday morning. We have to grow in our personal lives. We have to grow in our community lives. We have to invest those things that matter most in us. So we gather, we grow, we give. Yeah, giving's important. Our giving is down as a church financially, but giving is also service too. It's putting service into action. It's making coffee on Sunday morning. It's pulling a trailer. It's setting up tables. It's tearing down things. It's going to visit someone when they're sick. It's manning the nursery in the, the children's areas. Now, I want us to get back to some of those programs, but I don't want those programs to drive our church. As a small church, one of the things that we know is that the programs that you have, they really don't mean a whole lot if you don't have anybody that can staff them, but if they don't go back to our vision of moving people to a transformed life in Jesus Christ, they're just programs. They're just babysitting. They're just time. I want more than that for our church, but I realize that there, there are lost people in our community who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but what they do have is a little bit of an inkling of, of what they think church ought to be like. And if they come in, especially in a community right now, if we look at the epicenter of where we are geographically right now, this school is going to be 376% capacity by 2026, right here where we are. 376% capacity by 2026, right here where we are. That just tells me there's a lot of young families. There's a lot of people within three miles of where we stand right here geographically who have an opportunity to be a part of our community, to lead them to a transformed life in Jesus Christ. And what they may know about church in the past is that when they come, that there's going to be someone who's going to care for their children, give them a safe environment, going to teach them about Jesus, but also give them an opportunity to hear, to maybe get away from that distraction for just a little bit. And I don't want to call your kids distractions, but let's be honest, your kids distract you. It happens sometimes. And sometimes you just need but a moment to just stop and to focus and have an opportunity to, to have something put in that you can pay attention to. And so in order to get to that place, to be able to serve some of our, our people in our community, we're going to need to step up and serve. We're going to have to give of our time and our calendar, which is far more important than what we do financially. They both matter, but we got to have those things. Or we're not going to be able to reach our community, I guarantee you. We also have to go, and I think that's probably one of the great challenges. I've always believed in the Great Commission, especially out of Acts 1-8, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's a concentric circle that kind of runs out, right? It's like dropping a pebble in the water. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And I've always believed that Jerusalem is the most difficult of all of those ministries because you've got to live next door to those people. You've got to work with those people. You've got to live with those people. You got to deal with them on a daily basis. And the last thing I really want them to think is that I'm some sort of crazy Jesus Bible thumper. And that all I care about is just talking about the goodness of God. I don't know what's wrong with that. I don't know what's wrong with that. But if we're afraid of offending someone, trust me, there are lots of other ways that you probably offend your neighbor or your coworker or your close friends or those acquaintances around your circle than just telling them about Jesus. So go ahead and tell them anyway. We have to go to the places where people are because, let's be honest, they're not beating down the doors to come into any of our churches, pre or post or mid-COVID. They're looking for relationships. They're looking for people who truly look like this Jesus that they're talking about. They're looking at us in our community to see 
how we are truly unstoppable Jesus followers. What does that mean? That we don't let bad days overwhelm us. We try to distance between the bad days. We don't have as many of them in a row. That when we get frustrated or upset or excited or scared or nervous or worried about things, we admit those things, but we move straight to the scripture and see what Jesus has to say about that stuff. That the unstoppable things are not of this world, but they're also not self-enclosed. That we're not the ones who are stopping ourselves. So it's our strategy to go out and to reach people for the gospel, to lead them to that transformed life, to truly be unstoppable means we've got to make some adjustments and some changes and get on the right trajectory and the right focus. We do that with some of our values. You can look at these a little bit more, but I think one of the greatest values we have is simplicity. But unfortunately, sometimes that value of simplicity says that it's so simple around here that somebody else will do it. And that's just not the case. Yes, many hands make light work, and I'm so grateful for the people who volunteer all the time. But being simple is not being small. Being simple is making things as easy to follow and to participate that anybody could walk into that environment and begin on that road of a transformed life in Jesus Christ. We value families. That's why everything that we do says that your family's always welcome, your kids always are, in case there's a reason for them not to be. And that's just a warning for you because sometimes we may talk about stuff that the Scripture talks about that you want to be prepared for to have those conversations. I think that's only fair. The world doesn't treat you that way, by the way. They put all those messages in front of your kids, and we were not going to do that. We obviously value community, generosity, outreach, and prayer. I love that we have people who are praying. And I've studied prayer, and I've looked at prayer, I've looked at my own prayer life, and I've evaluated those things, and here's one thing that I can tell you. I believe with all my heart that people don't pray in private, don't pray in public. Now, I know some of you are shy and you're introverted and you don't like to do those sort of things. I understand that. I'm not challenging that part of your personality. Here's what I am challenging, though, is your personal prayer life will make a difference in your life, the life in your home, the life in your community, and the life of your church. And so I'm going to challenge you. If you really value what God can do here in your life and in the community around you, particularly the one here that we're located at, You'd take that to God in prayer, and you'd make prayer a much higher priority in your life because it is the one thing we have that is inexhaustible. We can't pray enough. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 reminds us to pray without ceasing, and all things give thanks. Pray without ceasing. When you value something, it dictates your world. It's the filter by which you, you move towards your goals. That's why this past year, or this past January when we started out, there was one verse that I asked us to memorize and to pray about it. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Psalm 51. And I want to look at Psalm 51, 10 through 17 for just a moment. I'm going to break this down into two pieces and help you understand kind of where all this kind of fits together and where we're going to go moving forward. Psalm 51, 10 through 12 reads this way. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. You see, David wrote this psalm because there was something going on in his life, and something was going on that, that actually separated him from God for a moment. There was something sinful. For, for, for We're not totally sure what all that is and what was happening, but David knew that his relationship with God was not what it ought to be and what he hoped it would be. And so David cried out to God, and he asked him to create in him a new heart. What he was really asking him was to fix my attitude. Put my attitude back right. 
that I'm not just angry and frightened and ashamed of whatever that sin was that separates me, but God, I can't do this on my own. I don't have enough wishful thinking or positive vibes or whatever that stuff is. God, I need for you to change my attitude. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Take that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, that my heart of flesh will chase after the Spirit of God and want to be filled with that. And God, I can't do this on my own, but I need you to help me out with that. So when he asked for God to create in him a new heart, he also asked him to put with him a right spirit. And David's asking to remain in service to God because David knows that whatever Saul had done removed him from the kingdom. And he said, God, I love you. I want to chase after you. I want a new heart and a new attitude, but I want you to change me because I've tried and it's not working. Because everything that I've tried to do is not satisfying to me. And God, I don't want to be separated from your service because the best times of my life have been right where you want me to be, right in your presence obediently. So he asked him if he would change that for him, if he would seek out ways for him to continue to be of service because he saw how, he, he saw how Saul went mad, how he went crazy. When God caused an evil spirit to rest upon Saul, David said, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to be away from your service. And so even though that I'm king over Israel, what I really want to be is, is, is servant to the one true king. Please, God, create in me a clean heart. Put in me a right spirit. And what he was really saying with that right spirit, he says, is that my joy only comes from you, that I've looked for so many other things to satisfy me, to make me happy, to make me complete, and I cannot find them. Renew in me the right spirit, a spirit of joy, not of just complacency or even just contentment, but a spirit of joy that only comes from God alone. I think one of the reasons why we call David a man after God's own heart is because what David realized was that he was nothing like God, that he was not a good man, but because of what God could do in his life and when he would find himself obediently submitting to God, what he found was is that God wanted to do great and amazing things and David enjoyed the presence of God with him. What David didn't have that we do is that the Spirit of God now lives within those who accept him as their Lord and Savior. He dwells with us. David didn't have that. And so David was worried that God was going to remove his spirit from him. And David was going to be left by himself. One of the scariest places where humanity finds is being left alone with our God and being left by ourselves. On our own, our character comes out. And we hope nobody ever sees that. But God sees each and every part of that. And David says, I know that about me. Would you create in me a clean heart, O oh God? Renew in me a right spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. This is why this is part of my prayer for us as a church. Is because I feel like our spirits have just kind of been broken this past year. I feel like they've been bent and twisted a little bit. Particularly in the, the, the category of community and how we relate to others especially because we've been so divided about so many things, and not a one of them, I think, were biblical. I think a lot of them were preferential. They're about, I prefer this, or I like this, or I want this, or I think this, and, I, and look, everybody's got an opinion. That's great. But when it comes right down to it, we've got to stop getting opinions about the Scripture, and we, we need to start going to the truth of God's Word. When we're just busy boiling down what people think about something. It's been one of the greatest challenges of all humanity when people started reading the Bible and they asked the worst possible question, what do you think that says? It's not what you think it says, it's what does it actually say? What does this book tell me who I am and about God and my relationship with him and his relationship with me? 
Last week I quoted Leviticus chapter 26, verse 12, that said the dwelling place with, of God was with man. And this is what David is alluding to right here, is that, that God wants to be with us, and our desire ought to be with him. And if our desire is to be with him, then that desire should well up within us to connect our community to Christ so that they too can be in the dwelling place with God so that they can have a clean heart and the right spirit, so that their joy is not being unsatisfied by what the world has to offer or even the church has to offer, but by what Jesus has to offer. And so how do we do that? Well, look with me at Psalm 51, 13 through 17. David continues, and he kind of makes a deal with God. Now, now hear me out on this because I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of an if-then statement with God. Well, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. What I actually think David is acknowledging that, God, I want to be in service to you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be right with you. And so if you will serve me, if you will do what I ask, Lord, this is how I will respond to you. And he says this, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltlessness. O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. What David is really saying to God is this. I've sinned against you, and if you will forgive me of, of my sins then I will be back in right standing with you and I will have that clean heart and I will have that joy of a renewed spirit and I will be back in a place where I can be useful to your kingdom and I will teach others about you and sinners will come to know you. Friends, if God has truly forgiven us of our sins, if he has truly called us and said, listen, I'm gonna send my son to die for your sins and because of that, the old will be gone, the new has come, you are a new creation in Christ, and that new creation in Christ should be teaching sinners about Jesus and calling them to repentance and life more abundantly. That looks different for all of us, but it does look all the same to God, that we are serving him and telling others. It's not about making a deal, if you'll make me this rich or you'll give me this skill or this gift or this knowledge or whatever. No, it's God, I want to be obediently yours. And part of being obediently yours is that I've accepted the forgiveness that you've given me even though I did not deserve it. And my response to you is to tell others about Jesus. My response to you is to tell sinners about you and call them back to you. He also says that if you forgive me, God, I will praise you. And it's not a if-then situation like I talked about. It's more of my response to you, God, will be so, so praiseworthy that people will wonder what's going on with David, what's going on with John, what's going on with Paul, what's going on with all these different people, what's going on with them. Their response to God because he loves them and has forgiven them is that they will praise him with all their tongue and with all their mouth. And we spoke about having a new song a couple of weeks ago when we were in Psalm 40. And some of the songs that we seemed to like while we were in the pit is not the song that God gave him because he said, I gave him a new song. And I began to sing that and people heard and they feared God and come to follow him. Our response to the forgiveness that God gives us ought to be songs of praise. And in a challenging time right now, we've got really two options. Simply boiling down. We can succumb to the rest of the world or we can praise God because he has never forgotten us. He has never left us. And in doing so, people will hear our songs of praise and they will ask us why we sing the way that we do. And we will simply say we are forgiven of our sins and God has called us and equipped us to connect our community to Christ. That we are busy out there 
trying to be a community of unstoppable Jesus followers who are just filled with his Holy Spirit to lead others to a transformed life in Jesus Christ. If we're singing a different song, then our song does not look like we ourselves are transformed. And I want to see us get there. And we're going to do that by gathering together, by growing together, by giving of our time and our resources, and by going to where God would have us to go obediently and willingly. Finally, what David sees in this too is that if, if God would but forgive him, he would make sacrifices. But what David understands is that burnt offerings aren't going to get it done. Because there's always going to be another round. There's always going to be another opportunity. There's always going to be another sacrifice, a physical sacrifice that can be made. And if David was anything like me or I anything like him or, or any of us like one another, what we'll find is that sometimes we'll find something else to sacrifice or we'll substitute a sacrifice. And the sacrifice has already been made for us, and that is the person of Jesus Christ, once and for all, final and done. Jesus was that final sacrifice. And I think David acknowledged on some level that he knew that God had a bigger plan out there. But he said, God, if you asked me to do it, I would do it, because I would gladly give all that I have back to you because you gave it to me to begin with. I think sometimes, especially whenever times are, are, are not as 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 good as we'd like for them to be, we miss out on that truth and that reality that everything that we have comes from God, and he is our sustainer, our protector, and our provider. And he wants to continue to, do, to be that in our lives, but it may require a little bit of sacrifice on our level so that others may come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what I think David was having that conversation with God, was I'll sacrifice to you to give you the honor that you deserve. And I'll also make sacrifices so that others will know who you are and serve you as well. Doesn't that sound like a community you want to be a part of? Doesn't that sound like a place where people who are looking for answers right now and cannot find them, that none satisfy, would want to be a part of? Does it sound like utopia? Does it sound perfect? Yeah, maybe it does. God's not calling us to that. What he's calling us is to lead towards him, to make progress as we're being transformed by him. He's not asking for perfection. And so what does 2021 look like when you think about those things that I just presented to you? When you think about creating a, a clean heart and having the right spirit and to worship God and to teach others about him, what does that look like for us? That's why we're going to do this Believe series this next year. It's going to be broken down into three 10-week sections. We're going to have some things in between as well. But the first thing I think that 2021 looks like is that we need to think. We need to think. I've shared this story before because it still makes my head shake, but one of my favorite bumper stickers out there was, don't preach in my bar and I won't think in your church. There's some sort of belief in 2021 by both Christians and non-Christians that something about going to church means that you just turn off your brain and God takes over and you don't have to think, and that's not true. Scripture tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, to let our brains and our emotions get engaged and to think and to take to action and to be who God wants us to be. But we're going to have to do some self-evaluation. What is my life in Jesus look like? How healthy am I as a Christ follower? What do I know and what don't I know? Where am I? What is the, the baseline to say I'm doing good or I'm doing not so good? Am I a nominal Christian? Am I a growing Christian? Am I not a Christian at all? We need to take a moment to have a self-evaluation and then understand that if, like David, God has forgiven him 
And his response to God was to go and tell others about Jesus, to tell others about God and the salvation that he offers. If that is what we truly believe, then why don't our actions reflect that? See, Romans chapter 14, we like to often quote about stumbling blocks and not to put a stumbling block in somebody's way. But if you get to the very end of Romans 14, what you see is that if you have a belief and an opinion and you don't act upon that as a Christ follower, that's sinful for you. It goes in line with that if you have such an opinion that's so strong that you're trying to force others into your opinion because they're weaker than you or have less knowledge than you or not as mature as you are, that's sinful too. But really, I want to focus on that one part in Romans 14 where it reminds us that if all you're doing is imposing your opinion, but you believe something different, then you're a hypocrite. not what God called us to do. I don't think any of us would be proud to say that I have a belief, but I act differently. But I think we would all be honest to say I have a belief, but I act differently. How do I get my beliefs to truly reflect in my actions and my activities? It's not about just behavioral modification. It's not about just society pushing norms on you or pulling norms back and allowing you to behave certain ways. It's about truly knowing what you believe and allowing God to act through your life in such a way that you can act that way to reflect him. We have a couple of surveys, and I've got some of them here today. I've got some of them on paper. You can do it online. It's actually an app if you're an Apple user. I want to be able to give those to you. And what I'm going to encourage you to do this year is to take that survey a couple of times. I don't want to see it. Don't send it to me. I'd be glad to talk with you about it. It's an old survey, but it's still a good survey. But all it really is is a self-assessment and evaluation for you. It's got three different sections like we're going to talk about through this Believe series, and it just helps you understand what do I actually believe and how does that line up with how I actually behave. It's eye-opening. Angelo and I went through it a while back, and I looked at it, and I'm like, he said, hey, do you want to talk about this? I'm like, no, not really. I'm better off not talking about this because if I, if I talk about this, I may have to do something about that, and it might require some sort of change in my life, and I just don't know if I really want to do that, and I certainly don't know if I want to expose myself to you on that. Nothing about that statement speaks community, does it? This is not a community of judgment. This is a community where we build one another up, that we help others to know who we are in Christ, what we believe. And we're going to have some conflicting beliefs, especially those that are more mature and less mature. They're going to conflict. And our goal is not beat those into submission. Our goal is to show them the truth of God's word and let God work in their hearts so that our beliefs line up, so that we don't have competing beliefs when it comes to certain things in Scripture that God has clearly marked out and talked about. You see, whenever you try to hammer someone into a belief, especially one that's not focused on here, you do get a cult. You get a bunch of people who are in group think, and they don't think for themselves. They got one or two leaders who are doing all the thinking for them. God didn't say stop thinking. He just said make sure that your thoughts are clarified and that your beliefs follow those. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to act on what we believe. It'll be the second section in our, in our time during this belief series to understand that if I think one way and I believe one thing, then I'm going to act a certain way. I'm going to live according to my beliefs, and I'm going to obey God's commands. For me, that's actually one of the great challenges is, is because it's, it's something that my dad said to me years ago that still resonates, and I think resonates with a lot of us, that I probably don't have a hard time knowing the right thing to do, but I absolutely have difficulty actually doing it. That's a challenge sometimes. And it's not because I don't know, and it's not a matter of ignorance. It's a matter of will and desire. I love the, what the flesh has to offer me, but I just don't want to give that up. The pleasures of this world have become too enticing. 
for me to change the way I act, even though I believe something differently. What if, what if our transformed life in Christ made us more like Jesus? And when those temptations come, we knew where to go in the scripture. We knew who to go to to help us out with that. What if we didn't have to feel guilty and ashamed for the way that we think and act and believe because we know God's forgiven us, but he didn't give us a pass to just live however we want. That's cheap grace, and cheap grace is going to send a lot of people to hell. That's not what we want to do here. We want to educate and inform. We want to inspire, but we also want people to understand that you have to act on what you believe. But let's think about it first. And then finally, the last thing is just who are we becoming? Who are we becoming? The scripture tells us that whenever the Whenever Jesus came back from the tomb, he appeared to multiple groups of people, two guys on the road to Emmaus, and then he appeared before uh, Thomas and, and or, or the disciples and some others. But he appeared on the other side of a locked door all of a sudden, and Thomas was an issue. And in John's gospel, Thomas, we often call him the doubter. But Thomas really wasn't so much about doubt as he was disbelief. Because Jesus got on to Thomas and he said to him, he, he said, stop doubting and believe. He didn't just say stop doubting, Thomas. He actually gave Thomas a little bit of room to have some doubt, to ask some questions, because at least then he was saying, hey, I'm not so sure about this. The problem was that Thomas does, and a lot of us do the same thing, Thomas had decided his own evaluation of if that was Jesus or not. Until I put my fingers through the holes in your hands and in your feet and in your side, I will not believe that you are Jesus. The problem was that Jesus was Jesus whether Thomas believed it or not. That Jesus had, in fact, risen from the grave, whether Thomas believed it or not. Thomas was doubting those things, but Jesus was saying, at some point, you're going to just have to have some faith, Thomas, and you're going to have to believe. And he went on to say, how many more will come to this same belief and not have the option you have to stand in front of me and stick your fingers in the holes of my hands? Now, the really interesting thing was that Jesus appeared to them in his transformed body. It may sound a little gross to think about holes in his hands and all that sort of stuff, but in his transformed body where there's no more sickness, no more dying, no more weeping, just as we talked last week at Revelation chapter 21, Jesus was appearing, transformed, and he's basically saying, this is the new body that I'm going to give to you if you will but believe and follow me. This next year is going to be a great challenge for us, just like every year is. Because every day we watch this world turn its back a little further away from God. And as, as, as Misty and I were talking a little bit earlier, what actually breaks my heart more is not just people who look at God and say, no, thank you. It's people who aren't even looking for God. They're busy looking for everything else in the world and saying, I got a temporary solution for you. I got a temporary solution for you. I got another temporary solution for you. I got another temporary solution for you. Here's the reality. Hell is not a temporary destination. It's a permanent one. It's eternal. We don't want to just scare people into heaven scare them away from hell. We want people to have a transformed life in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I didn't come to give you life. I came to give you life more abundantly. And so here's the question that I'll end with. Do you think like Jesus? Do you act like Jesus? Or are you becoming like Jesus? Because you won't become like him if you don't act like him. And you won't act like him if you don't think like him. And while he doesn't want us to be a whole bunch of drones, he wants us to see that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by him. And so any other option that we try to explore is almost elevating ourselves to be our own gods, and we're going to be greatly disappointed when we realize that we failed. 
David cried, created me a clean heart, O God, renewing me a right spirit. That's been my prayer for us going into this year, what I look forward to this year. And the way that we get that, that clean heart, the way that we get that pure heart, because in the Hebrew language, that word actually means innocent. The way that we get that innocent heart, we're not going to find it. We're not going to achieve it. We're not going to accomplish it. It's going to have to be given to us by Jesus himself. And he's the only one that can clean that up. And just, just imagine for a moment, just as David did, God, if you'd but forgive me of my sins, here's how it would be of service to you and to your people and to those who are looking for answers just like I was. I hope you'll engage with us in, the, in this Believe series. It's going to span throughout most of the year, like I said, in 10-week blocks. The books are available for $5. You can get them on Kindle. You can buy them on uh, ChristianBookDirect.com. Uh, They're $5 here. We want you to go through that. We're going to go chronologically through this series together. And I'm really, really excited about this because I think this is a good way for us as a church to be on the same page. We're not at the moment planning to go into all of our ministries that way. But I think you and your family could sit down and read these things. You and your families, those of you who have younger kids at home, you can engage in this with your families as well. It's through the NIV version. It's a great way to do that. And we're going to get started next week. I'm going to invite you to challenge yourself on what you think, how you act, and who you're becoming and what Christ wants to do with you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven.